So as we begin our study, as we have titled this uh, study, it's called The Holy Spirit, Fact versus Fiction. And before we jump into this week, I just want to do a recap of some of the things we laid down as foundational truths from last week. And as you remember last week, the, the, the primary focus of last week was really to identify who the Holy Spirit is so we can make sure we're all on the same page. So let's do a very quick recap here. Um, we identified a few things. Uh, one of those things was that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is God. His, his proper title, if you will, is God, the Holy Spirit, being co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. We saw that he is a person, not some impersonal force or electricity. Uh, and by the way, all of this is, is in last week's message, so feel free to go back and, and listen to it if you need to. Um, we know that he was present and active in the creation of the world. Uh, we saw that uh, uh, as well. Um, we know that he contends with the heart of men, and we're gonna dig into that just a little bit more this week. We know that the Holy Spirit is, is how God demonstrates or demonstrates the power of God in the earth. So when God does anything in the earth, he does that by his spirit. He is the author and originator of all scripture. Uh, we saw that in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come upon men, overshadow them, allow them to complete a task, and then he would kind of remove, if you will. So we, we looked at that. And then as we're going to look a little bit deeper today, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament dwells within the heart of the believer. And I want to review our two core verses for this whole um, session that we're doing. And the first one is Acts chapter 17, 11. And this is really what we're doing uh, tonight and throughout this whole series. It says, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And here's the key verse, a uh, key part of this verse. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So that's really what we're doing in this series. We are searching the scriptures to identify the truth about the Holy Spirit. That is the facts. And as we're going over the facts, we are combating some of the fictional stuff. I haven't really identified the fiction yet, um, but we're identifying the facts. And our other foundational scripture is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. So this was all of our recap from last week. Go back and listen to it um, on Facebook or YouTube. You can uh, find that video. Feel free to do that. As we move forward for this week, here is the, the point of conversation where we're going to begin. We're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at it, um, working in the unbeliever, what he does primarily, and then in the believer, what the Holy Spirit does primarily. That's what we're focusing on tonight. So here's our first scripture of the evening. Acts chapter 2, verse number 16 uh, says, No, this is um, P. 
Peter speaking, actually. What you see was predicted long ago, prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So here's uh, what, what God is saying here through, through, through Peter. And by the way, this is after Pentecost and and after the Holy Spirit fell, then Peter stood up and preached. And the first thing he said was in the last days. And just so we have clarity on what that means, the last days actually began the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, and when the Spirit of God fell at Pentecost, that was the beginning of the last days. So we're actually living in the last days, but that started actually 2,000 years ago. So since that moment, God has uh, prophesied that what he would do is pour out his spirit on all people. And when you look at that word in the Greek, the word actually means, think about this now, to bestow liberally without holding anything back. So here's what God is saying. In the last days, I am going to bestow or pour out my spirit liberally without holding anything back. That's an awesome scripture when you start thinking about that. What does that mean as a believer? And I'm giving, jumping ahead a little bit, but that means you can have as much of the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life as you want. God will bestow liberally upon you the power and the, and the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is what God is doing in the last days. This is where he's at. Let's move to our next scripture, okay? John chapter 16, verse 8 and 11. And we want to look at what the Holy Spirit does primarily in the life of, of the believer. And we kind of get a real good picture of this in the book of John chapter 16. Here's, it says, and when he comes, the he, 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 who he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. And so I can just put that in there. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So, in the life of an unbeliever, and I want to be really clear here, the Holy Spirit work is to convict of sin. And that word conviction, here's what it means to convince with solid, compelling evidence, that's what it means, to convince with solid, compelling evidence, to expose or to show to be guilty. So one of the works primarily of the Spirit of God in the life of the unbeliever, by the way, he convicts of sin in believers too, but primarily in the unbeliever, it's to convince them of their guilt or with compelling evidence to convince them, to expose them, to show them their sin. And the reason why, see that the purpose of conviction is to lead to conversion. So the primary work 
in the life of the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit works in that person's heart with bringing conviction with the goal of bringing them to conversion. Whenever the Spirit of God convicts you of sin, and by the way, like I said, the Spirit of God will convict Christians of sin, the goal is always conversion. The goal is always to bring to repentance. The goal is always to bring them to Christ for forgiveness of sin. That is the purpose of conviction. And I want you to think back to a moment. Think back to before you were saved, if you can think back to that. And think back to maybe you were, I don't know where you got saved. Some people got saved in church. Some people got saved in their, I know people that got saved in their bedroom. They, they cried out to God and, and God saved them. So, so you don't have to get saved in a church. There's no requirement for that. But think back to before you were saved and wherever you heard the message of the gospel. And if you remember that tugging that was on your heart, that pull that says, oh man, there's something about that that is just true, that is just uh, making me aware of the condition that I'm in. There was that reality where your eyes became open and you realized, oh my goodness, I need this Jesus. I need to confess my sin. I need to get right with God. Maybe you've heard or used any of those phrases. What is that? All of that, folks, is the work of the Holy Spirit convicting, exposing with solid, compelling evidence, showing you to be guilty and needy and needy and in need of a Savior. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The primary work of the Holy Spirit in someone who is not a believer is to convict them of sin. So the conviction is the purpose in that is to lead them to conversion. I want you to get that, okay? In fact, the Holy Spirit, by the way, is always pointing the unbeliever back to Christ. He's always calling them to Christ. Why? Because, here's what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to, fa to the Father except they come through me. So what does, Jesus, what does the Holy Spirit do? He points the people, the, the unbeliever, directs them, makes them aware of their sin, and directs them to Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, allowing that person to be reunited with the Father. That, folks, is the primary work that the Holy Spirit does in the unbeliever. In fact, I believe simply this, that no one will ever get saved without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because without conviction, you don't recognize your need for a Savior. That's why we need conviction. That's why we need that ex to be exposed, that compelling evidence that shows us our guilt, that shows us our sin, that shows us our need for a Savior the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's why sharing the gospel is so important. Because think about this, we need to give the Holy Spirit something to work with in the life of the person who is not a believer. Notice what Romans chapter 10 says. Think about this for a moment, folks. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is an awesome scripture. That means anybody, if you tonight are listening to this and Jesus is not your savior, I 
promise you by the authority of God's word, if you will call on his name tonight, he will save you. That is his promise to you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then notice verse 14, and this is where our responsibility works uh, with con in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? You see, notice the process. They believe because they heard. They heard because someone tells them. Someone tells them because they are sent. Okay? And so when we preach the gospel, what we, uh, what we do is we allow the Spirit of God to now take that word that is planted in the heart of the person and begin to bring that conviction that leads to conversion. That, folks, is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in the unbeliever. But what about us who are believers, who have called upon the name of the Lord and who are saved? Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? And we began to look at this last week. We saw this foreshadowing um, in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So we saw this last week that the, the, the work or the foreshadowing of what the Holy Spirit would do in the life of the believer is right there in verse 27, and I will put my spirit, my ruach, my breath, my wind in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so when we turn to the New Testament in Ephesians, this was written, that was written in, in Ezekiel. Notice in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, here's what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The seal is what? The promised Holy Spirit. We saw the promise in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. This was a promise from, from the Old Testament days, um, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So to seal, just so you understand what that means, is a signification of ownership. And if you think about it, the seal is carries the full security backed by, or the full authority backed by the owner who uh, submits the seal. So in ancient world, a seal served as a legal signature which guaranteed the promise or the content of what was sealed. And so when you called upon the name of the Lord, where, where Jesus said, everyone who calls, I mean, proper, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you did that, what God did was he marked you with the promised Holy Spirit. So yes, folks, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been marked and identified with the Holy Spirit. How does God know that you belong to him? Because the Spirit of God dwells within you, okay? You have been marked with a seal. That means you belong to God himself. 
you are his. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse nine says, yes, however, are not you, I'm sorry, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and notice this next verse, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way, folks, they do not belong to Christ. You see, the only ones who can possess the Holy Spirit are those who belong to God himself. So if you do not belong to God, then the Spirit of God cannot dwell within you. If you have never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, then God's Holy Spirit cannot dwell within you, cannot live inside of you. And if the Spirit of, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then regardless of how you feel, you do not belong to Christ. Notice verse 14. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with, is that personhood, by the way, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So how do you know if you are saved? How do you know if you belong to Christ? Why? How can you be confident of that? Because the Spirit of God inside of you testifies or agrees with your spirit and confirms in your heart that you belong to him. So where does that confidence come? It comes from the Spirit of God that God places in you the moment you call upon his name to be saved. Notice one more scripture. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17 says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you, notice, forever. Uh, we're going to come back to that in future studies. The Spirit of Truth, that is the Holy Spirit. Now, notice this part of the scripture. The world cannot accept him. Who is the world? The world is anyone who is not called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So if Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you cannot accept the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why? Because he lives with you and will be in you. So here's how this works. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The Holy Spirit is then deposited into our spirit, and that marks us or identifies us as belonging to Christ. From the very moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you are marked and sealed because God deposits the Holy Spirit in your heart to live within you. And as you see here, he will be with you for how long? Forever. And that's why, folks, um, you can't, and I use this vernacular, quote unquote, catch the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was uh, uh, back in college, this was years ago, and I remember having this conversation with someone, and they said, oh, uh, they were, they went to church. Um, they were uh, one of those, I would call them those uh, unsaved Christians, as, as Pastor Michael Jakes talked about uh, one of our studies, but they went to church, but they weren't really walking with God. And, and I remember them saying this, they were singing in the choir one time, and, and all of a sudden they said they caught the Holy Spirit. 
And, you know, they started to dance and jump around and get all excited. Here's the reality, folks. You cannot catch the Holy Spirit. He's not a cold. He's not the flu or a virus or anything like that. You cannot catch the Holy Spirit. That is not how it works. The world cannot take hold or accept the Spirit of Truth or the Holy Spirit. And here's the reality, folks. I want you to understand this. If you are uh, if you are unsaved, the Spirit of God is not interested in making you just jump around. See, what she meant by catching the Holy Spirit was that she got all excited and she started jumping around and dancing and all that kind of stuff. That is not the work of the Holy Spirit in an unbeliever, okay? The Spirit of God is not interested in just making you jump around, especially if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. What he is interested in, in the heart of the unbeliever, is conviction that leads to conversion. Any experience that an unbeliever has with the Holy Spirit that does not produce conviction is not the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Any experience that someone has with, I'll quote unquote, the Holy Spirit that does not produce conviction of sin, if they're an unbeliever, that is not the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much they jump around. I don't care how much they shuck and jive. I don't care any of that stuff. If it is not producing conviction of sin, it is not the Holy Spirit. Because the primary work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the unbeliever is to bring conviction. Why? To lead them to Christ so they can be reunited with the Father. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the unbeliever. Too many times people get emotional and they assume that the emotion represents the Spirit of God. If that emotion is not, if you are an unbeliever and that emotion is not producing conviction of sin, it is not the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'll take it a step further. If you are a believer and you are living in habitual sin willfully and you are in an experience and you think it's the Holy Spirit, but there's no conviction of sin in your heart when you are willfully living in sin, then I'm going to say that is probably not the Spirit of God. Because when the Spirit of God comes in your heart, he cleans up stuff. <laughs> he makes you aware of sin. Why? Because he wants to repair and restore relationships. Got to get that. Got to understand that. Okay. And for the believer, by the way, the reason why you can't catch the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit already lives in you. It's not something that gets caught. It's something that gets deposited in you. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, God himself says, I will put my spirit in you. So the spirit of God dwells inside of you. Notice Romans chapter eight. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is what? Living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Notice this is present tense. The spirit of God is active and alive, living in the heart of the believer. So if you know Jesus Christ is your savior, the spirit of God is alive inside of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, do you not know that your bodies are what? Temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God. You are not your own. That word temple, by the way, is, means a sanctuary. It's a divine dwelling place. It's a place of divine manifestation. Think about that. 
you are a person that God can manifest himself through because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, this co-eternal, co-existent, co-equal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God dwells within the heart of the believer. So wherever you go, think about this, the spirit of God goes with you. And if you can really grasp hold of that and recognize not just who you are, but who you belong to and who's inside of you, my gosh, you can become unstoppable for the kingdom of God. There is nothing that can stand in your way. Why? Because God himself dwells within you. Imagine the impact that you can have for the kingdom of God when you begin to recognize that the spirit of God dwells within you. Nothing becomes impossible. Why? Because it's God working in you. It's not you. That's the awesome part. See, the Old Testament was our, God said, this is the law, you got to try to do it, and you couldn't. God says, we're not doing that anymore. In the New Testament, this, this was the plan all along, by the way. But in the New Testament, God says, you are going to do it. Why? Because I'm going to put my spirit in you, which will allow you to do it and to accomplish it. So I want you to get that, okay? Now let's keep going. Hope that makes sense. Hope we got that. I'm excited, as you can tell. See, my wife's not the only one just excited to be back here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, but you, this is you and I, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's talk about this word power for a moment. The word power there is what's called dunamis. That's the way you actually pronounce it. It's the root word of uh, the word dynamic, we get from that, uh, or dynamite, we get from that. Um, and what dunamis means is having the ability to perform, having the ability to achieve because of what is inside of you. When the Holy Spirit, he will give you the ability to perform, the ability to achieve. It's power through God's ability, which comes from the Holy Spirit, to achieve or perform whatever God wants you to do. So my question became, when I looked at the scripture, is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. My question, the way I thought about it, it was simply this. Power to do what? <laughs> what is the Holy Spirit going to give you power to do? And so I want to identify a few things, six things in, 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 in all, that the Holy Spirit will give you power to do. And um, let's start with the first one. The first one is right in the verse where it says, "You will be uh, the, the Spirit of God will come upon you. Um, he will give you power to be my witnesses. And the first thing the Spirit of God allows us to do is to witness or to share our faith or even to share our testimony or to share the message of the gospel. Probably the greatest example of this we see in scripture where uh, someone witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest examples is Peter. If you look at Peter, 
right before Jesus was crucified, we see him that he's denying him three times, even going to the point of, of cursing uh, God and, and, and cursing. Um, even he was denying him before a little girl, if you read the, if you read the passage, uh, in, I believe it's in one of the Gospels, I forget which one. And Peter, from after the Spirit of God fell, Peter stands up boldly before crowd, don't know how large the crowd was. The Bible doesn't tell us how large the crowd was. What the Bible tells us, though, was that 3,000 people or men were added to the church. Now, how, how many people he preached to, I have absolutely no idea. But here was a man who couldn't stand before a few and, 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 and stand up and be a bold witness for Christ in just a few. But when the Spirit of God, when the dunamis power came upon him, it gave him the ability to stand and declare the gospel before thousands. He couldn't stand before a few. The power of God and the Holy Spirit came upon him dwelt within him. And all of a sudden, he could now stand and declare the gospel before thousands and thousands were added to the church that day. How many were there? I have absolutely no idea, but thousands were added to the church. So one of the things the Spirit of God will do is give you the power to witness. He will also give you the power to pray. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, in the same way the Spirit, this is the amplified version, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should, but the Spirit himself, there's another personal reference, right, knows our need and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. So one of the things that the Spirit of God will empower you to do, will give you the ability to do, is to pray. Sometimes you might be praying for a person or a situation, and you're not sure what to pray, and the Spirit of God can lead you into praying the right prayer for that person that is in accordance with the will of God for that person. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but have you ever had someone who knows absolutely nothing about your situation, maybe in church or something like that, and you go and you pray for them, and they pray the prayer that is exactly your situation, and you never opened your mouth and said a thing about it? That happens. Why? Because the Spirit of God helps us to pray. He empowers us. He gives us dunamis power uh, to pray. He also helps us to live. Galatians chapter five says, but I say walk habitually, that's continually on and on all the time in the Holy Spirit. That means to seek him and be responsive to his guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desires of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. See, one of the things that's interesting about the spirit of God in the life of the believer, we saw before in the unbeliever that it's conviction leading to conversion. In the life of the believer, after conversion, it's leading us to transformation. See, one of the things that the Spirit of God will do in your life is he will transform your life. And he gives you the ability or the power, the dunamis power to live, right? If we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, that will give us the ability to overcome 
those desires of our sinful nature. Because we all have certain desires, certain things that, that trip us up, certain areas of weakness, certain things that we are prone to. Well, how do we overcome that? Do we overcome it by willpower? No, we overcome it by dunamis, Holy Spirit power that lives in, in us. And as he lives in us and through us and we walk in agreement with him, we have the power to overcome the things that trip us up and overcome our sinful nature. Another thing he does is he gives us the power to speak. In the Gospel of Mark, here's what Jesus said. This is, by the way, before Pentecost. He says, when they take you and turn you over to the court, do not worry beforehand about what to say, but say whatever is given to you by God in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit who will speak through you. You see, sometimes we worry about what should we say or how do we say it. And what I'm telling is you don't have to do that. Not, not saying you don't prepare stuff. Of course you can do that. That's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the moment when you need it, the Spirit of God will overcome you and give you the power to say exactly what you needed to say. See, that's why it's okay to say, God, give me the right words to say. And then at the moment when you need it, have you ever, think about this, have you ever been in a conversation and the thought or the word to say just seems to just magically appear in your thought or in your mouth that spoke to the situation and changed it or transformed it or turned it around or ministered to that person. Whenever that happens, folks, it's the Spirit of God in you, living in you, that gives you what to say when you need to say it. He helps us to speak. The Spirit of God also guides and teaches and reminds. In John 16, 13, he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, that's Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Spirit of God instructs you or leads you into truth. That's why even sometimes, even if you're not, let's say, ridiculously well-versed in scripture, sometimes you can hear something and realize that that just doesn't seem right to me. That's not sitting right with me. And you may not even know a lot of scripture. Why? Because the spirit of truth guides you into that truth. But notice John chapter 14, it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Recently, my wife and I were having a conversation about um, studying the Bible and, and, and how do you learn more about Scripture. And all, we're just having this back and forth conversation. And one of the things sometimes I think that, that, that came out of that conversation is to remember that as you study God's Word, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to teach us what the Word means and, what it under, and um, how to apply it in our life. Why is that important? Because guess what, folks? He wrote the word. <laughs> He's the author of the scripture. So if someone writes a book and you want to understand what the book means or what they meant when they wrote it, what do you do? You ask the author. So if I'm reading God's word, God, what does that mean? You, the one who wrote it, well, the spirit of God will teach you all things. And the other part he will do, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's amazing how God can bring scripture to remembrance to help you when you need it. So the Holy Spirit 
power to guide us, to teach us, to remind us. And the last thing we'll cover is the Holy Spirit allows or gives you the ability to fulfill God's purpose. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is not your strength, but it is who God, who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, and creating. This is all amplified version, by the way. In you, the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. You see, how are you going to fulfill God's purpose? Well, guess what? God will do it in you. God, it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, the spirit of God, this dunamis power of God will allow you to fulfill God's purpose. And so I want you to think about something. Um, we're going to start wrapping this up in, in, in just a moment. But here's the truth of the matter, folks. What God is looking for is available vessels. Uh, God has always been able. God will always be able. But what he is looking for are available vessels that he can display his power in the earth to accomplish his will and his purpose. God has chosen to use humans like you and me to partner with us as part of his plan to complete and fulfill his purpose in the earth. What he needs from us is cooperation. See, there's something very remarkable, I believe, about who God is, is that God has all of the resources and the power and the ability to make you able. The one thing God cannot do is make you available. See, I want you to understand that. God can make you able, but God can't make you available. You see, when you make yourself available, then all of the ability, all of the strength, all of the purpose, all of the power, all of the anointing, everything you need, God is, is there for you to use it to accomplish God's purpose in the earth. But what you have to do is make yourself available. See, God can't do that for you. That, folks, is a decision that you have to make and say, yes, God, I am available. That's why I said, he said in the last days, he is pouring out liberally, right, his spirit um, to, on, in, the, in, the, in the earth in the last days. And he will do that. But the question is, how much do you want? He'll give you as much as you need, how much as you want to accomplish his purpose in the earth. So let's look at a recap. I'm going to do a recap, and then I'm going to close with one final thought. So here's what we learned tonight. That the Spirit of God is being poured out in the last days, poured out liberally without restraint in the last days. He's bestowing this liberally. That on the unbeliever, the, the Spirit of God brings conviction, which is the lead conversion. For the believer, it, he dwells within to take you from that conversion to bring transformation. We've seen that the Spirit of God has brings power to you, right? He lives in you with power. And that power is to witness and to pray, 
to live, to speak, to guide, teach, or remind, and its power to fulfill God's purpose. And so I wanna issue a challenge to you tonight as we begin to wrap up our session here. And my first thought is this, and, and, and this is not a challenge just to you, this is a challenge to me, myself personally, I'm just kind of letting you in on it, all right? <laughs> but imagine the type of people we would be if we were truly, completely surrendered and submitted to the Holy Spirit with complete abandon. Imagine the type of people we would be if we were submitted completely without abandon to the Holy Spirit. In other words, all of the power you need, all of the strength you need, whether it's to pray or to, to live or to witness or to, to, uh, to accomplish God's will, whatever it is, it's all available. What we've got to do is say, okay, God, I surrender. It's there. What we have to make ourselves is available. And so I challenge you, and by challenging you, I'm challenging myself that we would become people fully surrendered, fully submitted to the Spirit of God working in our life with complete abandon. Imagine what impact we would have in this world if we all who are who have called upon the name of the Lord and been saved, if we all did that. That's the challenge tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, this is a, for me personally, this is a challenging word because I don't wanna just know the, the truth of your word, God, but I want to live the truth of your word. And so for myself and everyone listening, I pray today that we would become completely surrendered, completely committed, completely available to the Holy Spirit to accomplish what He wants in our life, which is to bring glory to your name and to move the gospel and the kingdom of God forward. And so God, I pray that you would work that in all of us who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, before I uh, hand this back over to my wife, I just wanna do one last thing. You know, we've been talking about in Acts where it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, guess what? If you've never done that, then you can do that today. You can call upon the name of the Lord. And maybe you're feeling that tug in your heart. As I said, if you are, that's not me. I, don't, I can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Why? To point you to Christ so that you can be reunited with the Father. And so if you would pray a simple prayer, and by the way, maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, my life, I, I gave my life to Christ, but I know I'm not walking the way I need to be, then, then you can pray with me as well. And, and just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of all sin. Bring me back to you. I am calling on your name according to your word. And you said, if I do that, everyone who does that will be saved. And so we call on your name today for forgiveness, for healing, for cleansing, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. See, if you've prayed that and it was sincere from your heart, guess what? You are now saved. And when you get saved, we saw it earlier, what God will do, he'll take his precious Holy Spirit and now deposit it inside of you. Now you can begin to walk out God's purpose for your life. Amen.